Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Patrick Cullen and across from me, across the other side of the country, Christopher T. Barty Bardo. What an incredible draw that we came in the second test there. Holy dooly. What an incredible draw, Pat. Um, five great days of cricket. There's a reason they call it a test match, Pat. That was a test. It was a test for everybody involved. It was a test for Australia, you know, five days in in, in uh, sticky conditions there in Pakistan, um, you know, they faced some good bowling um, early on. Uh, and then it was a test for their bowlers on day five. You know, um, they kept coming. And then, of course, it was a test for Pakistan. You know, uh, capitulated in the first innings, Pat. Capitulated. Rolled, uh, Bardo. Rolled, categorically. Rolled. Yep. A, a good old-fashioned collapse uh, in the first innings, Pat. But... Uh, Boy, howdy, did they come back in a long, uh, a long way, in a big way, in a long way, um, in the second innings with some of the best batting I've ever seen. Uh, Barbara Zahm, take a bow, absolutely incredible. Um, And big shout, Mohamed Rizwan, who I think for a moment um, all gave us uh, an almighty scare that perhaps Pakistan might actually chase down. 500 plus because um, his innings was uh, Gilchrist like it was uh, it was something special it was like Gilchrist and um, AB de Villiers got smashed into a five foot two body um, as Rizwan just like planted our bowlers all around the ground he looked like he was batting on a completely different surface you know Barbara's arm, mate, was, and we're going to say it so often, both our correspondents, you and I are going to say it millions of times in the next sort of 40 minutes to an hour, but he was just incredible for his endurance, his focus, his determination. Rizwan came to the crease and and just made it look easy. <laughs> like, he made it look so easy on this pitch, which really was... Did cracked it was you know the old one was keeping low the old one was bouncing and fizzing and Rizwan just came out there and just slayed us to all parts it was um exceptional it was extraordinary to watch it was an amazing game Trace. it was an amazing game amazing game and you know uh I think what the game showed was that there were opportunities to get batsmen early before they got set but once they got set if you allowed them to get their eye in, it was game over. It was really difficult. So the bowlers had to be on point. There was definitely more life in this pitch than we saw in the first test, which was cool. Um, it was it was for sure cracking up, you know, on the last day. I mean, any all those drone shots yeah. and bird's eye view, you could see that thing was cracking up big time. And the footmarks were in the weirdest places. So weird. Super strange. There was one side of the wicket there where they looked completely fine. Um, there was mm. almost nothing there at all. It was, yeah, it was, it was really strange. And mate, look, like we don't do this every time. I think, I think all the time in this podcast, Chris, you and I assume that anyone who's listening to this either watched the test or has read the scores, and we're kind of just sort of talking it out. But I just wanted to read to you um, the start of the rap from from ESPN Crick Info, and I just wanted to to read the first couple of paragraphs here because I think it gives a, it's going to set up quite nice what we're going to be talking about for the next little bit. But, but also, mm. uh, I'm just going to do it, Chris, and you'll see why I'm, I'm doing it in a second. So here we go. Just strap in for this with me. Australia, 556 for nine declared and 97 for two declared. Drew with Pakistan, 148 all out and 443 for seven. Barbara Azam thwarted Australia with an extraordinary 196 as gutsy Pakistan survived a dramatic late collapse to remarkably draw the second test after batting through 171 overs to ensure the historic series remained deadlocked. Against all the odds, Pakistan finished their marathon second innings at 443 for 7, with Mohammad Rizwan beat unbeaten on 104 and Numan Ali 0 off 18 balls. They fell short of a record run chase by 63 runs, and in getting through, they achieved the most overs survived in the fourth innings of a test, behind the timeless test between South Africa and England in Durban in 1939, which only ended because the English had to get on the boat to go home. Having endured a two-year drought, Barbara Azam made up for lost time with the highest test score and highest fourth inning score by a test captain in history. 
Just as the match wow. was petering out to a draw, there was a late twist in the final hour when his 425 ball epic ended when he prodded bat pad off offspinner Nathan Lyon. I mean, how extraordinary is all of that? How amazing is that to think that all of that happened and the game was a draw? <laughs> yeah, uh, buck wild. Um, buck wild. It, look, we, we're going to talk about it, I'm, I'm sure, some more, but, you know, what a weird game this is that we follow. Bizarre. Because Bizarre. first test, Batathon, right? Yeah. Batathon. Bored. Uh, we really should have had a fundraiser attached to that because uh, <laughs> it was essentially cricket's version of a home run derby. Um, they should change the competition days. that's happening there. There's a competition that there's like, you yeah. know, if, if you hit a six and hit the bucket, then we'll send somebody to higher education. They should have done it for every leave. You know, every time exactly. a batsman left the ball and rolled pindy, they should have sent somebody to college. Speaking of buckets, I didn't appreciate how big KFC is in Pakistan. Yeah. And, I base that purely on the fact that KFC sponsorship is everywhere around the ground. So maybe everywhere. maybe Adam can confirm for us if KFC is the uh, fast food of choice in, in <laughs> Pakistan. But anyway, I, I digress. Second test, five-day, again, except for one innings, pretty much a batathon. Mm. But we were engrossed in it. We loved it. We thought it was yeah. pretty much the perfect test match save for maybe a result. But as far as just an absolute slugfest, uh, where, you know, it was like two heavyweight boxes that that went toe-to-toe mm. for 12 rounds and inexplicably are still standing. And you're like, how? <laughs> I don't understand how you can, both sides could sustain such punishment from each other and still have the spirit, the will, and the mental fortitude to go on. And for me, that that goes for both sides, particularly in that fourth innings. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to talk about how amazing, you know, Babar Azam was and, and Muhammad Rizwan, you know, as we've already talked about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it some more. But I do want to acknowledge the effort of the Australian bowlers because... Ah, oh, colossal, Chris. Colossal. There's no quit. There's no quit. Look, were there mistakes made in the field? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But in terms of the effort from the bowlers, you know, they kept going all day. And I think that it was shown in the fact that there were still being chances created with like three overs to go. Um, you know, there was no quit in them. And I'm sure, again, we'll talk about the decoration and all sorts of things, but just really want to applaud the 22 players that took the field because that was um, entertaining as anything. Like a great epic. It unfolded. There was twists. There was turns. It was backstabbing. No, it wasn't backstabbing. But you know what I mean? You know, it was... Um, it was theatrical and, and lovely and uh, I'm excited for the third test. We go into Lahore and you're like, who saw that coming? Not me. <laughs> me either, Chris. Me either. But I'll tell you what, uh, the old uh, Pat Cullen 1-0 prediction still on the table. It's still on the table, Chris. It's still on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Implausibly. Like, <laughs> I don't think anybody saw yeah. it. I mean, i, I got to tell you, mate. That after our first innings, and after we, after Pakistan's first innings, particularly when we rolled them for 148, I was like, I am freaking on here. I am going to be walking into two for none this week with a big smile on my face, really ready to talk some nonsense with uh, the B train and be very smug. And uh, here I am, even more excited, I think, than than if I was just being purely smug on this podcast for an hour. It's it's going to be. A real the the final test is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be it can't not not be a phenomenon, you know. I absolutely, Pat. I completely agree with you. Um, one thing I would say though is, do we have a plague of batathons at the moment? Because look at the scores. I'm looking at the scores in the West Indies here, and um, look, full credit to to Joe Root and uh, Ben Stokes, who both scored centuries uh, in the past couple of days, but. If England is scoring 500, <laughs> there's a problem. We've got an issue, right? Got an really, issue. There's an issue there. Not a doctor, there's an issue. I'll admit, I haven't had full visibility of that test match, but uh, I'm assuming it's a flat deck because the West Indies, <laughs> West Indies are four for 288 in reply and uh, Craig Braithwaite has uh, just notched up 100. So, um, 
I don't know. We I thought we left. I thought we'd left the the days of the uh, the batter friendly decks behind us, but uh, obviously not. Maybe they're making a recurrence. Hey man, it's like Y two K fashion, you know, Chris. It's just it's just rolling right back in. Um, you know, that's that's what the kids are into these days. I'm led to believe. Well, I, there's a rumor that uh, somewhere in Queensland, Matthew Hayden's just started doing a couple of downward dogs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's seen the decks. He's thought, yeah. I could march down. I could, I could charge a couple of fast bowlers on that. I could hit four hundred on that with no problem. Um, pal, I feel like we should get into some tapes. I feel like we should hear from our two correspondents, Alex Spinks, of course, our Australian correspondent, and Adam Hassan, who was going to be pumped um, with a Pakistan perspective. Who would you like to hear from first? Uh, look, let's let's start off spicy. Let's start off with a bang, uh, and then we'll end it with some coherent thought. I think, Pat. So uh, let's start with Alex first. Great, and uh, and then we'll get into Adam. All right, folks. Here he is, our Australian correspondent, Alex Spinks. Lincoln Park. That's a five. That was close, wasn't it? Hello everyone, and welcome to A Missed Opportunity by A. Spinks. Yes, by employing the same much-criticised first-innings declaration decision as Babar Azam, Pat Cummins has manufactured a much-criticised match result with the draw in the second test in Karachi. Only this time, the test had a little more spice in it on day three. For about half a day, when the Pakistan wickets were crumbling, Mitchell Stark and Cummins were a-rumbling. The run-out throws from Labashain and Swepson were sending stumps a-tumbling, having humbled Pakistan in 53 overs with a 408-run lead and 15 overs left in the day, pace bowlers looking fiery, team energy high. Yes, we could bowl all day and tomorrow to get these next 10 wickets and... Wait, no, sorry guys, I forgot Cummins was Australian and so enforcing the follow-on makes him break out in hives. So... Of course, we must send our batters out again to soak up another 23 overs for just an extra 97 runs because... Reasons? Hold up there, Sphinxy. And Chris, I think we should... It's a great opportunity for you and I to chat about this because I know you've got thoughts, but I know you've got thoughts. So to, to bring the listener up to speed, uh, we're, after rolling Pakistan in their first innings for 148, we, we could have enforced the follow-on and made them bat again. And instead, we went out and made 97 for two. Um, and this decision has been highly criticised, but Owen, I think you've got some thoughts on it. How do you feel about the follow-on situation? Should we have made Pakistan follow-on there, Bardo? Look, it's a really interesting one, Pat. I, I think the instinct is to always enforce the follow-on. Like you've got it there. You know, you've got the foot on foot on the throat. Let's just execute this bad boy. Um, you know, there are a couple of reasons why people don't um, enforce the follow-on. You know, pretty much it comes down to, you know, do you want to rest the bowlers give them, and give them a break? Because it is a bit to get through in terms of, you know, two consecutive innings. Um, and we've seen a lot about, you know, managing bowlers' bodies and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, also, um, you know, declining to enforce the follow-on, it, it reduces um, the... Uh, the fielding team's probability of losing. And any time you put 500 runs on the board, I think we've seen, even you know, even with the titanic uh, effort from Pakistan, that you're not going to lose with 500 runs. So, so it's, a, it is, it's, a, it's a conservative uh, option. It protects the players. It eliminates the loss. Um, and then it really puts it all on the line in, in Lahore in this particular case. Um, it also prevents um, the opportunity of batting last on this wicket. So maybe, you know, um, uh, by positioning Pakistan to bat last, Pat Cummins is thinking, look, I'm giving myself the best chance to give the other team the worst possible conditions. conditions yeah. Um, I think it's probably that that final uh, factor, which which was that would have figured into Cummins' uh, thinking because... The wickets in, in Pakistan, as we've discussed so far, have been relatively placid. So maybe the thinking was, look, I'll, this will allow me to give them the worst possible conditions. Also, in the end, you know, 500 plus runs on the board, and they had five and a half sessions to bowl Pakistan out. Which is so a long time, buddy. 
a long well, it's time. It's a long it's, time. And, it's and, a long time. And, you know, yeah. in Pat's defense, we just rolled them for 148. You don't expect just, them to dig in for 443 for seven and for Barbara Azam to stay there for 400 plus balls, 10 plus hours. You know, you, you think to yourself, I was thinking to myself watching it, like if Pakistan had to hold on here, it's going to take one of the great innings of all time. And that's what we saw, you know. Got two of them. Um, so I think that's probably the thinking that went into it. That being said, would I, would I, with the benefit of hindsight, would I have enforced the follow-on? And I think if they had their time again, they probably would have. And the reason why I say that is simply because it would have allowed them to continue to press the psychological advantage. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly, in the first innings, Pakistan were a little bit flustered, playing some rash shots. Australia were bowling well, um, and they were on top. I think what happened um, when they chose to bat again was it's allowed Pakistan some time to mentally reset and refresh and, um, you know, approach the second innings with a fresh mindset. Whereas I think if you enforce the follow-on, you catch them in a hurry, um, you, you catch them while they're still mm. at sixes and sevens, and then the opening pair um, that have already batted that day all of a sudden find themselves out there so i think by not enforcing the follow-on you lost the psychological advantage but i but i think demonizing of, of pat cummins decision um is a little bit unfair because we it's not as if we didn't have enough time to bowl them out it's not as if we didn't have enough runs to bowl them out it's not as if and we didn't have I enough opportunities to bowl them out either chris we had plenty of opportunities and you know and i'm sure we'll uh, we'll uh, address some uh, top catches in a moment but uh, it's it's a learning curve, I think, for for Cummins here this this series. Learning curve for for a lot of the team. Um, and who would have thought before going to Pakistan that it's our batsmen that have been super duper reliable, and our much vaunted bowling attack that hasn't been able to um, extract life from from this pitch. Chris, we we haven't even mentioned it. We haven't. We've gone all this time. We are seventeen minutes into the podcast. We've gone all this time, and we haven't mentioned the fact that Uzi hit one hundred and sixty. Butto, was he hit 160? Alex Carey made 93. Stephen Smith made 72. We batted great. You know, Mitchell Stark got 28. Paddy Cummins hit a 34. When was the last time we saw Pat hit a a 30-odd? You know, we batted great, Butto. Batted batted brilliantly, Pat. There's no no dramas at all with our batting. I think uh, from memory, uh, yeah, Nathan Lyon, came in yeah um and even he even had the lions called 38 and had one of the great night watch evenings um i think that was actually his highest score as night night watchman funnily enough um you know and he he was a great uh partner there for it was mcguire so look we'll get back to alex but but i do think um we don't need to crucify pat for this decision um although clearly with the benefit of hindsight we might have done things differently now None of this is going to be a hot take on Cummins' tactics in this test. You'll have heard all and sundry come out of the woodwork to say Australia bottled it with these choices, including the follow-on shy Michael Clarke, who only enforced it once in his entire career in his last ever test match at Kennington Oval in 2015, because if he didn't, he would have had to bat again, and at the end of his career, Michael Clarke couldn't get any runs at a laxative testing facility. (laughs) So my question is... Whoa. Why have Australian captains been so gun-shy about enforcing the follow-on in the last decade or so? Before I get started, a lot has to be said about Pakistan's amazing discipline with the bat in the fourth innings. I haven't seen something like that since A.B. de Villiers, a debutante Faf du Plessis, and an injured Jacques Callas held Australia out in 2012. Back then, de Villiers scored an Ed Cowan-esque 33 from 220 balls, Duplessis soaked up 376 for his 110 not out, and a hamstrung callus accounted for 110 balls to see the Australians off. Abdullah Shafiq, Baba Azam, and Mohammad Rizwan were infuriatingly sublime in this match, as I'm sure Adam Hassan will have mentioned. So, Australia and the follow-on. It must be said that Australia is literally the only test-playing nation to have lost a test match after enforcing the follow-on. It's happened three times in history, and all three have happened to Australia. Once in 1894, 
Once in 1981, where the Moneyball Mike Brearley led English engaged beefy Botham mode with a bat and Bob Willis mode with a ball to eke out a 130-run target for the Kim Hughes-led Australians to reach, only for Willis to take eight and bowl a youthful Australian side out for 111. And the last time, it was 2001 against India in Kolkata, where India's second innings was led by a VVS Laxman shellacking, scoring 281, and Rahul Dravid hitting 180 at a super-fast for Dravid strike rate of 51. <laughs> to sum up Australia's final innings in that test, Sachin Tendulkar got Adam Gilchrist LBW for a duck. These are the only times a cricket team has lost when enforcing the follow-on. That 2001 test occurred under Steve Waugh's captaincy, yet he still made the opposition bat again seven more times before he retired. The closest Australia have come to losing since that loss is a five-wicket victory against England in 2002 at the MCG, again, under Waugh. Every other victory is by eight or nine or ten wickets or in innings. So what was the thought process of Cummins et al. at the start of the third session on day three with a 408-run lead that made them balk at sending Pakistan back in? Yes, Pakistan's top order seemed in fine form in the first test. They certainly got enough batting practice in. But they had crumbled here. Their rearguard is generally the exception in these circumstances, not the rule. Bowler fatigue? Stark and Cummins had bowled 13 overs each, sure, but it was one more session with a new ball and all the momentum. Swepson and Lyon had only bowled nine apiece so far. They were as fresh as they could be. David Warner hasn't bowled all series. Even if the pitch magically disintegrated on day five and Australia had to bat again for the victory, you'd trust the Australian top four to get the job done. It's literally their job. I guess we may never know. But it is a strange trend from Australian captains to not go for the first chance of victory, but rather eke out a slightly larger safety net for if they balls the whole thing up. Ah well, I guess I'll see you on the other side of the draw in Lahore. See ya! Thank you, Spinksy. Um, really interesting series of thoughts there, Bardo. And it's and it, I, mm. you know, I, I had a f- I always I felt and I was incorrectly like um, like it had happened more often that we'd lost more often from enforcing the following than that. And, and when you yeah. when Spinksy puts it like that, it's it's amazing to think about how palpable and like affecting that two thousand and one loss to India was. And strange to feel that it lingers in the minds of every Australian captain and fan since more than it lingered in the mind of Steve Waugh, who was at the helm and was like, oh, yeah, no luckers. We'll enforce the follow-on again. We'll do it. You know, it's a real... The follow-on is a way to push home your advantage, to smash the opposition. And and it feels strange that we've run from it so, so hard. Yeah, I wonder if... if- the primary reason, although I, as I said, I've just articulated, I think in this particular test match, I think it was in order to facilitate Pakistan batting in the worst possible conditions. But I wonder if in some part, you know, the, the thinking has been um, about protecting the, the, the fast bowlers, you know, bodies and, and, and that sort of thing. But the other way, the other way of thinking of that is, well, if we skill them again, you're going to get a couple of days off and you won't even have to come to the ground. So not sure. Not sure. I do think there that the one point which Alex raises, which I think is particularly pertinent is it is unusual that for, for Australian side or Australian captains not to take the first and most aggressive opportunity for victory, particularly for an Australian, mm. for Australian teams where we kind of go, yeah, like we're associated with aggressiveness. We're associated with, pushing for the win at all costs. We chastise other nations when they don't do that. So uh, that is interesting. And, and I think, I wonder if the follow-on now will come back a little bit more in vogue. Yeah, I, I think it should. But I like, don't get me wrong, there's risk to it. And there would have been risk here. But as you say, with the benefit of hindsight, the pitch at the end wasn't as much of a minefield as it looked. It, it, you know what, strangely, it reminded me of a really slow version of the Whacker. You know when the Whacker gets to mm. day five and it cracks and it opens up and everyone loses their mind. But actually, that's mainly a mental battle and really, like, it, it plays pretty good, usually. Like, it's fast, mm. sure, but it's it's pretty similar to what, to what it's like on day two or day three. 
This pitch, mm. like, it was still very good to bat on by the end of day five. The The difficulty was the bowler's mindset and the batter's mindset. Mm. And it really did become about that that beautiful thing you get in test cricket of pure endurance, right? Like, pure freaking endurance. Like, who who snaps first? Who breaks first? And, and I think, you know, like we said after walking away from the first test, I think we walk away from this saying advantage Pakistan. You know, like it was, a, a, as you say, a really great heavyweight battle with these two sluggers punching it out. Um, but you walk away and maybe the points battle is slightly tipped in Pakistan's yeah. favour. I think in both, both test matches, if this was a points decision, Pakistan probably wins. Uh, which for this particular test match is amazing because for all money for the first three days uh, Australia was was dominant. So magic of test cricket, right? Incredible! Can't wait to go to Lahore. And but oh. uh, can we can we quickly talk about the Schwepp? The Schwepp takes Tufa in his first innings and looks phenomenal. Yeah. And then the poor bloke goes for a hundred and fifty in the second dig, but bowled brilliantly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Know, wild, <laughs> wild. You yeah. know, had like we haven't. You go. So, so I think there's some things things to to mention about some Australian performances really, really quickly. So, first of all, let's talk about Swepson. So, I thought bowled really, really well. You know, looked looked good. It was just a pleasure to see wrist spin again for extended periods of time. I really enjoyed it. You know, I think his first Test wicket was Baba Azam. Hell yeah, which is. You know, and it was also like kind of reminiscent to Shane Warne's first test wicket of Ravi, Ravi Shastri. Like they both kind of lobbed one to I think mid on mid offy sort of area. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. Did about really well. He was economical in both innings. Uh, created chances in the second innings. Obviously didn't come away with any wickets. The only thing I would say is that he certainly seemed to concede more four balls than mm. um, the others. But that that comes with wrist spin, right? Um, you know, they're likely to go for more boundaries. And he was a little bit uh, looser, I thought, than, than Nathan Lyon. So um, he had more balls kind of um, go down the leg side, a couple more long hops, mm. um, you know, full tosses, all that sort of thing. So a little bit less control uh, than, than Nathan Lyon. So which comes with the territory a little bit. I really hope that persists. You know, this is not a this is not a none for 156 where you go, oh, no good, get him out. Um, I think this is a none for 156 where you go, damn, that guy did a mountain of work and it just didn't quite go his way. So Especially we need to give it another look. In that middle session after after lunch on um, on the final day, you know, he bowled up an absolute storm and he had catches dropped in short. I think um, both the short leg and the and the short. Um, the Slim Minoff uh, dropped catches there. I think Travis Head dropped one. Uh, he had the the tightest possible LBW call of an umpire's call ever. Um, it was it was so 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 tight. And I think it's actually going to be one of the decisions that might prompt a review of how the review system works um, and how umpires call works. I, I think that if we're going to trust. A thing hitting the wickets. I don't know that umpires call in the way that it ha- currently happens is the best way to use the system. I mean, maybe I'm just saying that because I'm sore, and in the past, umpires call has saved many in Australian innings, and I've been mm. saying how much of a wonderful system it is because I'm a terrible one-eyed supporter. But I don't know, Bardo, and I, you know, Paddy Look- Cummins says he walked away from that, and he should have. He ha- doesn't know how um, Swepson had those figures of 53 overs, eight maidens, none for 156. That he, he bowled better than that for sure in the, in the final dig. I, I, mean, I mean, and as for some comparison, you know, in Australia's first inning, Sajid Khan, who I love watching bowl, by the way, great um, moustache too, just great moustache, sensational, great moustache, great celebration, it's all good. One of the great moustaches. <laughs> you know, he's. <laughs> His figures in the first innings were two for 167 off 57 overs. Uh, and nominally, uh, you know, was one for 134 off 48 overs. Mm. So it was a tough time for spinners all around. And that probably actually speaks to just how good Nathan Lyon is, who ends up with four for 112. So yeah. Nathan, Lyon, 
Nathan Lyon ends up with the best figures for a spinner probably in the match. So a terrific performance from the GOAT, who we haven't talked about at all, by the way. <laughs> you haven't even mentioned the GOAT. Oh, no, we talked about his batting. <laughs> talked about his batting, yeah. High score We're by great at this podcast thing, Chris. Great We're test really match. <laughs> great test match. Great test match. So much to great cover. Schwepson got a run yeah. out. He got an amazing run out with like his first touch of the ball. He like threw down the stumps yeah. in the in the first inning. Sorry, that's why we're talking about stuff we've missed. This was a great game. This was a really, really, really great game. There's a lot to it. By the way, speaking of Groshan performances, we did touch on it earlier, but I think it's important that we touch on it again. You know, in our last episode, we we pontificated Pat about as to whether Alex Carey was under pressure. Well, he shut us up. It didn't he? Didn't he? Well, it clearly, he clearly mm. listens to the pod. Uh, we always knew it. We always knew Kerry was a big fan. From the moment that he wasn't looking where he was going and fell into a pool, I was like, this is the kind of guy that would listen to our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> a lack of spatial awareness and a dream in his heart. He's our sort of guy. <laughs> I want to know if his phone survived. Yeah, same, same. I think that's the question everybody's asking. Um, yeah, look, so many wonderful elements of it, mate. And and it was a really good debut, I think, from Schwepp. And I'm, I'm excited to see him keep bowling, keep developing as a bowler. I think the more time he can spend with Gary Lyon, both out on the pitch and, and behind the scenes, the, the better. Um, but he does look to be the real deal. He does look to be the real deal. Um, should we hear from Adam Hassan? Let's do it. Okay, I'm just coming straight into this, having just watched the conclusion of that second test match in Karachi. And I mean... I don't even know where to start. Pakistan just batted out 171.4 overs to pull off a remarkable draw. We survived 171.4 overs. That's the longest a team has ever batted in the fourth innings to secure a draw in a non-timeless test. And I mean, if you look at the scorecard for that fourth innings, there's really just three guys who've, who've pulled this together. You've got, at the top, Abdullah Shafiq scored 96. Then you've got Baba Azam, 196. And then Mohamed Rizwan, 104 not out. And you look down the rest of that batting lineup, and it's all single figures. Like, it's just heroic stuff from these three guys. And this colossal achievement was really set up by the partnership on day four between Abdullah Shafiq and Baba Azam. Because they came together at 21 for two. And at that point, you're sort of looking like, oh no, is this a repeat of the first innings? Are we going to get rolled again? Is this going to be humiliation in Karachi? And then, I mean, I'll start with Abdullah Shafiq. He's just 22 years old in his fourth test match, only his seventh first class game because he got picked for Pakistan having only played three first class matches before that. But just while you got Adam on pause there, Pat, I think worth pointing out for Abdullah Shafiq, you know, when he was dropped in the second innings by Steve Smith, he was on about 22-ish, but he'd faced 88 deliveries at that point in time. Steve Smith drops a relatively regulation chance at first sleep. And Abdullah Shafiq goes on to face another 217 deliveries. Poof. So in a game like this, you know, that to me is the stat that matters. And probably the other thing that's worth noting is that Barbara Azam had just come to the crease at that point. He hadn't been there long. Mm. Steve Smith takes that catch. Shafiq doesn't face those 217 deliveries. Um, Babazam has a new batsman who isn't set that he's got to work with, um, which would have been forward alarm. Maybe the complexion of the game changes completely and our conversation that we're having now is completely different. Yeah. You know, so we can talk about the decision not to follow on. We can talk about, um, you know, the amazing batting that you know was clearly displayed by Pakistan and all sides throughout the Test match. But even in these magnificent, mysterious games, it's the simple things like holding your catches that make a massive difference. And it was such a strange catch for Smith to drop, Bardo. Like it was right in the breadbasket. It did come quickly, but Smithy has taken absolute hangers in that position. You know, hangers. And this was a real. This is the sort of catch that I'd drop, Chris. You know, this was a real... This is a real... And it did prove that Steve Smith is, in fact, a human being. You know what I mean? That he's a human being who makes mistakes, as Heidi Cheadle said, yeah. to say. And, and, like, you know, he's a real guy. But um, it was incredibly unusual. Incredibly unusual. But as you say, uh, we are all human. And um, our love and adoration for that man 
continues to soar <laughs> like an eagle. Soar like an eagle. Back to Adam. And he comes out and scores 96 from 305 balls. Out there for 465 minutes. That's nearly eight hours. And to see a guy this young, just 22 years old, putting in that performance is just such an exciting prospect for the future of Pakistan cricket. And then at the other end, you've got just one of the great captain's knocks from Barbarazm. 196. That's the highest score ever by a captain in the fourth innings of a test match going past Michael Atherton's 185. Baba Azam was out there for 603 minutes. He went out there early on day four, batted all the way through to the close, came back on day five, and batted deep into day five as well. It was just a stunning performance from him. And then you've got Mohamed Izwan. He's just such an amazingly relaxed cricketer. And I love the rapport that he has with the Australians around the bat. I mean, I don't know if you caught this, there was a moment where you've got Mitchell Swepson bowling around the wicket into the rough late on day five and Mohamed Rizwan pads one away and then he just sort of, he plays a fake reverse sweep shot. He just motions as if to say, I could have played a reverse sweep there and he's just messing with the Australians and then Steve Smith at slip sort of moves around a few steps to his right and says, yeah, I would have covered it. I would have cut it off. And it's like, I just love the banter between the two sides and just generally the, the series has been played in such great spirit. And it was so entertaining watching Rizwan kind of struggling with trying to get to the 100, but also trying to bat out for the draw. So you've just got him playing these massive hook shots of Cummins. At one point, he gets down on one knee and deposits Swepson into the stands over deep square leg. And then there's that moment where he's on 99 and there's two balls left in the penultimate over. And he comes down and he charges Nathan Lyon and hits it straight back. And Lyon collects it and throws down the stumps. And Rizwan desperately turns and throws himself at the crease and just manages to get in before the bells come off. Puts in a full length dive. And then the next ball, he manages to get to the 100. And then next over, sees Pakistan through to the end. And there was something beautiful about watching Baba Azam and Mohammed Rizwan out there fighting for the draw. And just thinking back and remembering a few months ago when these same two guys were out there batting together in our first game of the World Cup, opening the batting against India, chasing down that score of 151. And they did it with such ease. And then a few months later, you see them here, completely opposite end of the spectrum, fighting out for a draw, battling to save it for their country, grinding in the dirt. It's just incredible to see the versatility of these guys. And going into the final session, both Baba and Rizwan have since said that they were actually looking at potentially winning the game. And that's extraordinary to think about, given the position we were in. More than 400 runs behind on first innings, chasing a mammoth 506 to win would have been the greatest test chase of all time. And we came into that final session needing 196 to win, and then hit 20 off the first two overs. Rizwan hit Swepson for a couple of fours, next over Baba Azam comes down and hits Lyon for six over long on, and at that point you're like, are they going for it? Is it on? Is it going to happen? And then after Baba Azam gets out, it kind of becomes clear that we're not going to go for the win. It's too risky, too unrealistic, we're just going to bat out for the draw. And then you get Sajid Khan coming in, and he just decides to get the slog sweep out. And he clears his front leg and takes Nathan Lyon over Cal Corner. And then he gets out for 9 off 10, having hit two fours in two balls. Meant to be blocking out for the draw. And you're like, what was that innings all about? I mean, it just had so much this game. And for the people of Pakistan, the people of Karachi, who've been deprived of test cricket for so long, there would have been some people there who are watching their first test match in a generation. Just what a test match for them to have the opportunity to watch. And they had this great thing on day five where they were allowing school kids into the ground for free. So you've just got these groups of school children who are coming in and watching their heroes, Baba Azam and Muhammad Rizwan, reaching these milestones and notching up these hundreds. And you've got kids ecstatic in the crowd. It was just great theatre, great spectacle. And now the series is still level and we head to Lahore on Monday for the decider. And I've got to say, if you're Australia, how do you come back from this? Winning the toss batting into day three, then you roll Pakistan for 148 and you think you've got it, and then you don't manage to get the job done. And I mean, Headingley 2019, Sydney 2021, Brisbane 2021, Sydney 2022, now Karachi 2022. Hate to say it guys, but do you have a four feelings problem? You, could, you know what's disappointing about that, Chris? 
you can actually mm. hear Adam smiling to himself in that last mm. moment. You can just hear, you can really hear the joy coming through, coming through there. And, um, and I'm very upset about it, but oh, it's, uh, <laughs> I feel like, um, do you have a four things problem? Do you have a four things problem? Is the makings of a late night infomercial? <laughs> Gentlemen, do you find yourself 500 runs ahead with two days to play? Only unable to pull out the opposition. <laughs> Embarrassed by your fourth innings problem? <laughs> unable to face the guys in the locker room? Wives and girlfriends? <laughs> Looking giggling. disappointed from the, from the sidelines? Giggling Sign up for our... Start up yeah. for our program now. Packaging arrives very discreet. No one will ever know. Only four easy payments of $69.99. Listen, um, maybe we do need a little bit of that action, Chris, when it comes to fourth innings. We do have a little bit of a problem with them. If you, if you purchase the fourth innings ointment for only four... <laughs> oh, it's a topical solution now. It's a rub-on. I love that. And you act now... <laughs> What's the bonus gift that you get? The bonus gift is you get a, a six for a six for nine, I believe. Right, get a bonus six. Have a bonus five for. <laughs> sure. Yeah, buy buy now. Get some steak knives. Steak um, knives. Look, yeah, there you go. It's it's a thing, Chris. It is a bit of a thing, but you know what? And I think we've talked about this before, but there is something to the fact that we got so used to. For 20 or 15 odd years, we had Shane Warne, right? And so if we're ever in a fourth innings, we just threw Warne in the ball and we won the game. And it happened every time. You know, mm-hmm. we'd have Glenn McGrath down one end, just not, you couldn't score off him. And then Warney down the other end, messing with your mind and taking poles, regardless of whether it was a raging turner or if it had bounce or whether, it mm. what, didn't matter what the conditions were. You know, like after Warney's passing the other week, I was thinking back to the, the 2005 Ashes where Warney got 41 wickets. 41 wickets, Chris, in a five-test series. Mm. So we got accustomed to that. But the thing is that bowling out teams in the last day isn't easy. No, it's... <laughs> it's actually really, 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 really hard. Um, and as you were talking about with Swepson's debut in the last pod, Bardo, like, it's really difficult and it takes... You've got to, especially on the subcontinent, you've got to take all of your chances. Mm. Things need to go your way. You know, that that two-inch run out from Cameron Green at mid-on needs to hit. Like mm. that grab from Steve Smith at, at, you know, that needs to go down. Uzi's grab when he's got the helmet on a cover. We need to take that. And if you don't take that, good sides. If you give if you give Pakistan an inch in their own conditions, they will take a mile. Yeah, look, my only, only thinking is, you know, the only thing we might have done a little bit different is maybe Cameron Green could have bowled a bit more. He only bowled 15 overs, uh, took one for 32. That bizarre LBW, which was actually off Weirdest. the glove. <laughs> the, the old off bounce. Off the glove, uh, off, hitting him in the guts. That's right. Yeah, the old bounce off the glove. Um, it might and have bowled a more. Do you want to uh, confuse me? So we're at the end of the game here. We're in day five, right? And we've got the third new ball. Whenever you get the third new ball, you know you're having a bad time at the office. We've got the mm. third new ball. And we gave it to Gary Lyon. That was strange. That was strange, right? Like, I can't work out why we didn't bowl Stark there. Because, you know, even if he's knackered, like he had bowled, you know, 21 overs, but Stark with a new ball against the tail, you'd figure that that would be the thing that would do it. Maybe spin at the other end and seamers from the other end. But we went dual spin with new ball. I couldn't make heads or tails of that. Yeah, I thought that was unusual. Again... I hate to half the point, but you've got a, a six foot seven dude there that can bowl 140 clicks and gets a bit of movement. If Stark's unable to bowl, is there any harm? Just giving Greeny a roll. Yeah. A couple of overs. Anyway. I mean, that being said, Gary Lyon nearly got a hat trick. He was off. He had two and two balls there and he had me absolutely on my feet. So I, I do understand it, but maybe mm. there were some things that moving forward, Pat will think about differently tactically mm. it it does leave it chris literally all to play for 
in the final test, in the third and final test. And I am so excited about that starting. That starts on the 21st, so in a couple of days from now. Huge. Um, huge, Chris. Absolutely and massive. Great point there from Adam as well. You know, this is the first time that a lot of people in Pakistan will have seen test cricket live for the first time in a generation. And if that's your first time going to the cricket, what a game to go to. You know, I'm so I'm so glad that there was a great show put on for the cricket fans in Pakistan. You know, they deserve it. They've they've stuck with it, you know, over such a long period of time and quite easily could have abandoned their side after all, all of those years playing in England and, and playing in the UAE. They've stuck fat. And they've been rewarded with an amazing test and potentially an amazing series, depending on on how we go in Lahore. Um, what is the pitch going to throw up? Are we going to get three roads um, or is it going to be a dust bowl or is it going to be a green top? Who knows, man? Who knows? <laughs> no one, Chris. I don't know. I don't know that anybody knows. It's going to be really clue. exciting though, mate. Really exciting. No. Do you make any? Do you make if you're Australia? So yeah. I I do disagree with Adam from the point of view. Adam sort of says, look, you know, I don't know how Australia's going to bounce back. I don't think this is all that deflating, because I think you saw Australia's effort right up to the last. They were still swinging, still yeah. crea- creating chances. I think if they're going to do anything, they might practice a few more catches in close. <laughs> um, and Uzi might select a, a different headpiece for. Building a, a cover. cover, yeah, um, but mind you, like those those secondary pitches were quite a far way out. So, if your spatial awareness isn't great, you might actually think you're a little bit closer than what you are. I don't know. <laughs> but do you make any do you make any selection changes going into the hall? Yeah. I wonder. I, I don't know. I I, they, I think Paddy Cowens was hinting at something, but I think they're going to have to have a look at the pitch and. And have a gander at it. I mean, there's no doubt, Bardo, that the real weapon on this deck was reverse swing. Uh, and when we had the ball was hard and it was reverse swinging, it was very difficult to face, particularly early on. But once, they, as you said before, mate, once batters got in, once you got used to it, there was very little that looked like it would harm you. Um, so I guess it, it's just going to depend. And and it's, it's really hard for us to tell this far out, but I can tell you that I'm bloody pumped about it. But I'm bloody pumped about it. It's, it's literally all to play for. I also did want to mention, um, I'm going to say this just publicly on the pod. I'm just going to leave this into the edit as well, that my next fortnight of my life is a nightmare. It is so messed up. It's, it's, it's hectic, Chris. It's hectic. I'm making a movie. I'm doing this big job. I've got a wedding to go to. I've got an audition for a big project. My life over the next fortnight is a nightmare. It's cool. Like, don't get me wrong. All radical stuff. But I don't know. I want the listeners to know this from me as well. I do not know when the next episode of this podcast is going to be. I just don't know. So, listen. Watch the test match, everybody. Watch it. Observe it. Enjoy it. And we will get an episode out to you when I return to some vague form of reality. Do you know what might be an option? I know the listeners out there, Pat, and feel free to edit this part out too because... This is out there aren't in our tweet on group chat. But I have to say, there has been some hilarious repartee between Jai Singh and Tom Hawkey. <laughs> so we're going to have to just get those guys on a call. That's what I'm saying. It's got guest host something. I don't know. That'd be fun. Yeah. I think that's a great shout, Chris. I think that's a great shout. I might see if we can get a guest host. We might get Spinksy to do a guest host. And see if he can be the man in charge. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, Tom, Hawkey and Jai have been having a very, very good chat. I might throw that out as an option um, just to cover my ass over the next couple of weeks. Uh, pal, maybe we'll leave it there. Thanks so much, Bud. Any final thoughts from you before we sign off? Any final thoughts or feelings about this whole situation? I'm just excited to go to the hall, Pat. I do want to acknowledge that uh, Western Australia won the 50 over domestic championship. Uh, Hell yeah. Defend, defending some ridiculously measly total um, of just over 200, bowling extraordinarily well. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for 31st innings total. But it was good enough <laughs> to get the runs, uh, to get the, get the W over uh, New South Wales, Pat. So, very exciting. I'm surprised Spinks hasn't mentioned it, but I guess when he come in second, it's, um, you know, you like to put these things <laughs> under wraps. But um, once again... Also, go ahead. But... Sorry, mate. I was just going to say, also, speaking of, of uh, positive results, the Women's World Cup is ongoing, um, and currently we are on top of the leaderboard with four wins from four games, as you'd expect from the Southern Stars. Um, currently, we're in a game against India, um, and they are batting first, and they've made 262 for six. So, uh, very interesting to see how that plays out. I think the final is happening on the 30th of March, so I would definitely try and get an episode out. Um, before then, the, the very the final final is on um, the the third of April. So we will definitely get a couple of episodes out before then to cover all of that action because it's been pretty thrilling stuff. Some new stars stepping up, Bardo, new faces taking poles, making runs. It's all been happening. Absolutely, mate. Alana King looking the absolute goods. Um, love her style. Love her sunnies. Um, love to see a leggy. Love to see a leggy doing well. So. Um, they've got a bit of work to do today, though. You know, as I say, they're going to be chasing 260 plus. So, it'll be an entertaining game this afternoon against India. Chris Barty, thanks so much, pal. You're the man, and uh, we will chat very soon. You're the best. Appreciate it. One more thing, folks. Go the Aussies! Go the Aussies! Go! Two for None is created and presented by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. Big thanks to Adam Hassan, Alex Spinks, and Chris Barty for joining me on the show. Clips in this episode were Ross Bugden, Evening June, you can find him on YouTube, Lincoln Park's In the End of Hybrid Theory 2001, Warner Brothers. All clips and music is used in conjunction with our APRA AMCOS online mini license, OL2028. Make sure you check us out on Facebook, and you can email us anytime at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com, especially if you'd like to be our West Indies or Bangladesh correspondent. Two for None is produced by Ginger Snap Productions. Check out our other show, The Isocast, and your podcatcher, and make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to all our podcasts. Tell a friend about our podcasts, and we'll be back after the last test at some point to wrap up all of the action. Ginger Snap.